0: So glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. And so this week as we as we engage with this story of jesus crucified uh, i want to do a similar thing to what we did last week last week i said uh, uh, i want us to enter in to the story not just to read it as a historical text or reflect on it after the fact uh, but to enter in to the story to put ourselves there in that moment uh, to do that we need to recognize our place in history uh, we live thankfully so after the cross but also after the resurrection, after Jesus' ascension, after Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit that, that made all of what this means so clear to the believers. We live after the New Testament church and their writings that are now our New Testament that explain and explore and unpack what the cross of Jesus means for us. We live after 2,000 years of church history, of theological reflection on what it means that Jesus died on the cross. We know that the cross is not the end. We understand what the cross means for us to, to a large degree, hopefully. It, it means our salvation. It means that Jesus' death was not for himself, but for us. That our sins would be washed away by his sacrifice. That the, the, the punishment, as the scripture says, that should have been on us, was borne by Jesus on the cross, that in him we are reunited in relationship with God, reconciled to God, set free from his wrath, and welcomed back home as family. But we need to understand that we understand that after the fact. Those disciples of Jesus, the Roman soldiers, the Jewish crowds, the family of Jesus are uh, in this story from a different perspective. And, and so to place ourselves in this story, not that we forget about all that other stuff, It's the last thing I want us to do, but I want us to enter into that moment. Jesus had warned his disciples, he, he'd told them uh, across several several periods of time, lengths, months, years perhaps, but at least weeks, that he was going to Jerusalem that he would be arrested, crucified, and then on the third day he would rise. And so he had warned them, but but it didn't even click for them until later. That's where we get in Scripture. Then they remembered, oh, he said this would happen. And so for them, they don't have the benefit in this story of those years of reflection, of the Holy Spirit in this moment poured out on them, telling them what this was all about. And so for those who are living this story... (coughs) pardon me, the cross isn't a triumph, but a shame. The cross was seen as the most shameful way that a person could die. It was seen as a curse to uh, those of the Jewish faith because this Old Testament scriptures say anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And what's a, a, a cross made out of? Well, pieces of tree. For the followers of Jesus, this was an end that they had not seen coming, despite Jesus' warnings. It was a death to not just Jesus, but their hopes and dreams. To the the Roman power, political power, to the the Jewish religious leaders, this was the snuffing out of a pretender to the throne, a threat to the status quo that it might be preserved. For Jesus' disciples, uh, this was not things going according to plan. This was not what the disciples had in mind when they set out to follow Jesus. But if we enter into this story, John shows us that even when things aren't going to plan, even when it seems that the very Messiah is being crucified and and not having that context to understand that this is actually God's plan, that that John gives us these windows of insight that even in the darkest days of our life Even in the midst of that, John gives us these little windows of grace to show us that God is still in control, that this is still his plan and purpose been outworked in history. And so, I just want to take a look at three snippets of this story. Some of them were in the parts that Alex read. Some were were not. I, I asked Alex to read those bits because that just gives us the sweep of this crucifixion story. But, but I want to zero in on three little moments that John highlights that we can see that God is still in control. God is still sovereign. All things are still under his authority and all things are still working out according to his good and perfect plan. Even when it seems to those who are in the story that things are going horribly wrong. The first little window of grace we see is in John 19, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 8 to 11. This is kind of one of those moments where, where Pilate has brought Jesus out to the crowds and said, I've, I find no fault in him. Why? Why? Why should I be crucifying him? This is after he's already had him uh, flogged. Uh, and, and the crowd say, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate brings him back in and in verse uh, Pilate, because they, the crowd it says, Free you or to crucify you. And so, this is a moment where, from Pilate's perspective and from the perspective of everyone else in Jerusalem in that moment, for those who are living this story, Pilate, the governor of Judea under the authority of Caesar, is the one who is in control, the one who is shaping and guiding the events of history in this moment. But Jesus responds, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And so, Jesus says to Pilate that there is no power on earth that is not given from above. Jesus is saying that God is still the ultimate authority in this situation. Even in the darkest moments of this story, It's not outside the will and control of God. Even when human history, where where human free will is is operating to crucify the saviour of the world, which again, we look at through the window of history and see is this great moment. And it is this great moment. But if we're in the story, it's the darkest moment. Even then, there is no authority that is operating on earth that is not given from god that doesn't mean that that everything people are doing in this story is good jesus still mentions sin he says those that have handed me over are guilty of a greater sin and, and that implies that that pilot in crucifying jesus in handing him over for crucifixion as much as he might want to wash his hands of that is sinful And God abhors sin. But, but here's the thing. Even sin has no choice but to be moving things towards God's purpose. That doesn't make sin good. That doesn't make sin okay. It's, it's like where Paul says, should we sin all the more so that grace might increase? And he says, absolutely not. The point is not that sin is okay. The point is that even in these dark moments, even in the midst of human sin, God is still the ultimate authority. Things are still moving forward according to his plans and purpose. And so this tells us that in our life, though this, this, we're not living this story, but when we live our story in our life, when there's these dark moments and when we're, when we're impacted by others because of their sin or even because of our sin, it's not making that sin okay, but it, but it reminds us that even in the dark moments of our story, that God is still king. Pilate might be on the throne over Judea. Caesar might be on the throne in Rome, but God is still king. God is still the ultimate authority over the universe and all things are still moving forward according to his purpose and plan. No sin has the power to uproot God's purpose and plan over history. All things are moving together towards God's glorious, good and perfect will for our future in him. And so then the story moves on. We're told in verse 16 that finally... Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. There's a reference to what it looks like for those living in the story. That Jesus is not in control. But from what we've just read, we know that it is. And so Jesus is crucified, placed upon the cross. A sign is put above his head on the cross where they'd normally put the charges against a person that said in three languages, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And this upset some of the the, the crowds and the religious leaders uh, of the Jewish faith. They said, well, can you make it say that he said he was that? I don't know if it's out of Pilate's kind of, there's something more to Jesus than this or just his you know blaseness about the whole situation but he refuses to change it and then John zeroes in in this odd little story about the dividing up of Jesus clothes now if you think about it why is John bothering you know if this is his account of the, the glory of Jesus Christ manifests, and that's where he begins his gospel, we have seen his glory, the one, glory of the one and only Son of God. Why is he including this little shameful little bit about how Jesus is stripped naked except for his, his closest undergarments and they divide up the rest of it? Why, why would you include such an odd little story in such a profound moment in history? Why would the, the, the people charged with reproducing this throughout thousands of years of history? I mean, it's easy today because we, you know, we have printing presses and this can be just mass produced, but, but f- for, for thousands, well, not thousands, for about 1,500 years, every copy of this was handwritten, reproduced by hand. Why, why would they bother to not just leave this little bit out? About dividing up clothes. But the point is, of course, I'm I'm hoping you're guessing it, but the point isn't about the clothes at all. It's about this little odd window of, of grace that shows us that even though Jesus seems like the least powerful person in history at this moment, it seems like all control has been taken from God, that this moment, this odd little moment, is a demonstration that things are still moving forward according to God's purpose and plan. In verses 23 to 24 of of John chapter 19, we read, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And so this happened. And so if you're watching this in the moment, you might think that this was just the soldiers stealing a dead man's clothes. But John, in hindsight, looking back at this moment, says, this happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. This odd little moment that John records reminds us that God is present in the details of this story. That the callous act of the soldiers points to God's sovereignty. That points to something more going on here than the darkest day in history. He's referring to Psalm 22 verse 18, a Psalm of David, um, that... In writing it, I don't believe that David was aware that he was prophesying of a moment uh, hundreds of years ahead of him. But in Psalm 22, verse 18, David wrote, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And, And so John's had this moment where the Spirit has connected these things together and gone, I can see God's grace and presence in the midst of this horrible story. And so even when the events seem random, even in the midst of our darkest moments, there's things like this that point to the reality that God is sovereign and that his plan will prevail. And we aren't living this story, but we do, as I've said, live our own story and our own stories do have dark moments and and, and it's not that our story will necessarily see the fulfillment of uh, prophetic scripture in our lives. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying those windows of God's grace are still there. When we're living those difficult moments, I want to encourage us, like John has done, either in this moment or I, I suspect it was after the fact, but to open our eyes to try to see that even though this seems horrible and random and that it's completely out of control, that God's still there present in the details, that his plan is still prevailing. The story of Jesus' crucifixion moves forward and he's hanging on the cross We're told that in verse 28, knowing that everything had now been finished and that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And then we have this other moment in the death of Jesus where John helps us to see that even in this moment where as I keep drawing us back to we see such a profound redemptive moment from our perspective in history but in this moment would have been the most crushing defeat for those who'd put their hope in Jesus. In this moment where for them All hope would have been completely lost in the midst of despair. Even then there is this window of God's grace demonstrating that this is somehow part of God's plan. If we continue to read in verse 31, we're told that now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. And so they sought to expediate the death of those who were on the cross. And the way this worked is that um, as much as the the nails in the hands and the feet on the cross uh, would have been excruciatingly painful, death usually came from asphyxiation. That is, they weren't able to breathe because the pressure from hanging on their arms made them have to force their weight up on the nail through their feet to be able to take a breath and then hang back down. And so breaking their legs would prevent that, and those on the cross would suffocate. And so the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead... One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So they saw that he was dead, they didn't need to break his legs, but they just wanted to make sure. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. That's usually taken to be John's roundabout way of saying, I saw it, without putting his name to it. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies to, so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. None of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And so even in this moment, John is showing us that this is a fulfillment of scripture that these random events seemingly, this moment of like, break this guy's legs, break that guy's legs, this guy's already dead. See, they didn't see, except for we're told perhaps one of the soldiers in Mark's Gospel saw something significant in the way Jesus died. But in the sweep of this, they didn't see anything special about the man in the middle. They just wanted to make sure he was dead. But in these seemingly random moments of random decisions, we see... John shows us that God is there. That this is not a surprise to him. That his plans and purposes haven't been uprooted. That the snuffing out of Jesus' life is not a shock. That even in the details of this moment, God has not left the throne. And so for some of us, we might be living through great moments at the moment. This, this might be uh, the best season of our life, for whatever reason. For some, there they might be challenging stories. For some, they might uh, be experiencing moments where they, they realise, oh, I didn't think that was the plan. Where our hopes and dreams were here, but, but life has taken it there, and, and, and we're feeling a bit uprooted. And so as we enter into this story of the cross that that we know from our perspective is the most redemptive day in all of history. But if we enter into that story, it's a dark, crushing day. We'll get to the resurrection next week. As we enter into that story, I want to encourage you to take hope. That there is no authority that can usurp the authority of God over you, over your life, over his good and perfect plan to move us towards his glory. I want to encourage you that in the details, we will see God's grace showing up. We might question, why did it have to happen that way? Why why did that thing happen? And and I'm not saying everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that's the worst thing to hear. but, But even in those difficult moments in life, I want to encourage us to open our eyes and look for windows of God's grace showing up to remind us, He's still there. He's still working out his plan and purpose for your life. Where is God showing up present in the details of your life right now? Because when we see when we trust, when we know, when we're reminded that he's present in these kind of moments and we remember that he is the one that turns crosses into triumph. He is the one that can turn such a dark and horrible event, such a dark and horrible thing. You can't see it it'd be at home on the screen, but we still have the cross over there on the wall. He, he is the one who's so powerful, so good, so present, so loving, so faithful, that he can act in such a way as to turn an implement of torture and shame and cursedness into something that millions of people will cherish as the symbol of their liberation, of their freedom from shame, from curse, from suffering, from pain. And so as we enter into that story, we don't forget what it's all about. But we remember we can see that the God who turns that dark day into the greatest day in history can turn our dark days for glory. And so, Father, I pray to our Heavenly Father on Father's Day I pray that in the struggles of this season, whether they be COVID related or whether they be about something completely unrelated or whether it's the enmeshing of so many things in our life in the midst of the struggles and the dark days that some of us are experiencing in this season, in the midst of health challenges, in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief and loss, I pray, Father, that we would not lose hope in your authority and your presence and your purpose. Let us see the little windows of grace, the big windows of grace and everything in between where you're showing up in the details of every moment. Let us remember that the God who can turn even a cross into something that's a moment of unrivaled glory. You can turn our dark days, our challenging days, our difficult moments to work together for your good and pleasing purpose in our life that you can bring glory out of our grief and suffering, out of our challenges and pain. And so we fix our eyes on you, our good Father. We continue to believe even when things don't seem to be going according to what we think was the plan. All our hope is entirely upon you, Father. So we want to worship you now. We want to just take a moment before we turn to the rest of our day to dwell in your presence. And so I pray that this moment Of worship would be one of those windows of grace. That we would be reminded in this moment that you're still there, you're still at work, you're still fulfilling your purpose for our lives, and your purpose is still good. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us, we pray. Amen.